Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. And good day, good night, welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark, we had an interesting Malaysian Grand Prix last weekend, the last, maybe maybe not forever, maybe the last for uh, a few years, like I was speculating last weekend, uh, it got clarified during the week. Uh, but let's start with the beginning of last weekend, Friday, and... The bad luck of the Ferrari on a Saturday morning, but I want to talk about one issue that happened on Friday, and it was quite scary, and it happened with an Haas. It could have happened with the Ferrari or a Mercedes just before. Romain Grosjean hitting that drain trap and wrecking his car at 200 miles an hour, this could have been a tragic accident. Yeah, you're not kidding. And what's interesting since then is that uh, Haas is actually going after Sepang to cover this estimated $750,000 bill to, well, basically repair the car that was uh, completely destroyed. Because if you see the the pictures of it, there's nothing left on that right rear corner of it. The floor is broken, the suspension's broken, and and all that sort of stuff. I mean, th- I mean that's uh, immaterial if uh, you, you think that the most important thing is that Roman got out of the car, walked away unscathed. Yeah. And that, of course, is the, the the big thing is because he hit that trap and then crashed heavily into the barriers. And that was yeah. a scary moment. No, it was a terrifying moment. And what's in the rule book, too, is if you're a team like a Formula One team and you're a house, you're not the team with the biggest budget. And we're mm-hmm. talking about damage of a car to three quarters of millions of dollars. And that's roughly maybe 1.5% maybe almost 2% of the entire budget of the entire season. No, it's, you, a, it's a huge hit, yeah. Right? So 2% is like, it's, it's a huge hit for us. Yep. And it's none of their fault. None of fault of their own whatsoever. The car was just there and the track, the the, the, the the trap was made loose, like that little grill on top of the drain, which, by the way, you do need those drainage. If there's one place, one circuit in the entire world where you do is Sepang with the monsoon season and you had like torrential downpours just a few hours before FP1 <laughs> where this happened, well, FP2 basically, where this happened and you do need those traps. We're not saying that, but one got loose and it was remediated, but still it could have been tragic. But the way it happened, it's no fault of the team whatsoever. So you kind of feel bad that it's a small team and you kind of feel bad that they're going to have repercussion financially because of that crash. So I kind of understand why they would go after Sepang and be like, you know what? Give us some cash because because of you, we might be in trouble now. 
Yeah, and not only that, it was good to see that the FIA relaxed the rules uh, around the the curfew and all the park for May stuff for them to actually repair the car overnight because it was a circumstance that was completely beyond their control. It wasn't like they were trying to do something that they weren't. So, I mean, fair play to to them for letting Haas repair the car so Roman could take part in the in the Grand Prix. But yeah, scary situation avoided, and let's hope that uh, Sepang, uh, you know, cut a check or their insurance company does and. There was even some uh, talk at some point that maybe the FIA was going to to maybe cover the costs or a portion thereof. So I wouldn't be surprised. What, yeah. uh, I, I, w- there is precedent for that, so I wouldn't yep. be surprised if a. I remember back in the day, uh, the FIA or Formula Management, I can remember compensating Minardi for for something similar. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But you kind of hope that it does, and Formula One does have the fund for it. So what's another three quarters of a million for them? <laughs> well, they should have enough money for fines and things like that. And uh, I'm sure they're not a, a, an entity that's hard up for cash, or at least they don't give the, uh, the, uh, the, the, I suppose, the, the feeling that they're not. So let's yeah. hope that they do. No, all right. Let's move from FP2 to the qualifying session on Saturday, which was quite eventful, even before it starts, before the, especially the end of Q1 where Sebastian Vettel was not able to log a fast lap and was eliminated, started last on the Grand Prix with, with trouble with the turbo engine. It was kind of uh, very noticeable when you were watching the car, especially with the noise, that was missing something. It was definitely yes. missing something. It has to do with the turbo and the engine, and there was a missing, like, uh, well, a like more than 50% of it, it was not kicking in, basically. And they had to find a way to make late adjustment and were not able to make it just a few minutes in because when he came back in, um, well, out, I mean, when he came back on the track, he wasn't able, you tell us like, yeah, I got nothing. He just came back into the pit, did not clock a fast time and was just disappointed and had probably the best car of the entire field but had to start last and it was so weird too watching the qualifying session just to see that Sebastian Vettel did not even do more than a lap or so and did not even get out of the bottom five I mean it was basically the next four cars ahead of him were eliminated and making that chop there but to to see him at the very back of the grid was just completely bizarre I mean and it's a real shame too because when you see the pace that Kimi Raikkonen had he finished up uh, second fastest on the grid next to Lewis Hamilton. So the Ferrari had the speed, but it, w- it was also equally strange. The pictures that you saw over the race weekend with the Ferraris with the engine covers off and Maurizio Benes, Arriva Bene standing there looking into the car as if he knows what's going on. But you, you could tell he was very, very concerned. And that is one of the items that's come out subsequently that... I think that uh, Maurizio's basically went and flipped everything upside down about the lack of quality control because we we might be stepping ahead of ourselves a little bit here. Despite Kimi Raikkonen having such a good qualifying session, it ultimately didn't help him in the end because much (laughs) like Sebastian Vettel didn't take part in qualifying, poor Kimi Raikkonen didn't take part in the race itself for exactly the same problem. Well, exactly. I was going to mention, it seemed to have been the same problem too. And it was a lack of uh, reaction of the turbo in, of the turbo components of the car uh, on the starting grid. And that image of Ferrari putting the training wheels back on that F1 and, and driving it up to the starting grid into that small opening of the pit wall, into the garage, just before 
<laughs> the the formation lap. Uh, that was quite sad to see. Definitely. It was a really weird picture, too. If they kind of look down the grid, you see Seb right at the very back of the grid and then his teammates grid spot completely empty at the opposite end. And it's strange. And despite all of that, uh, Sebastian Vettel said uh, just in the last day or so that that there is no quality control problem at Ferrari. So it kind of makes you wonder, well, where is the problem if they're saying publicly it's not a quality it can't control be a coincidence, issue? coincidence, can it? No, it can't be a coincidence. So, like, it, it would have happened in different weeks and whatever, maybe. But the fact that yep. it happened to, to like a day removed, it happened on the Friday and happened. Well, no, sorry, happened on the Saturday morning, and it happened on the on Sunday. So basically, twenty four hours removed on two different cars, the exact same problem arises. This cannot be a coincidence. No, and I mean, you think how complex that these cars are and all the untold amount of uh, mechanical pieces and components and widgets that go into building and comprising of a Formula One car, you can understand from time to time components are going to fail. I mean, you look at uh, the Malaysian Grand Prix last year when the big end in Lewis Hamilton's car went, that was an unexpected mechanical failure. Everybody expects that things like that are going to happen. And, of course, the point of uh, designing a Formula One car is almost to over-engineer and overbuild everything so that the reliability is there. But, yeah, I mean, to have the same problem recur for both cars in that 24-hour period, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that, I, especially not, not for a top team like Ferrari, though. I, I have a little uh, hypothesis on why. Okay, Ferrari has been known for its reliability up until this point this season. Mm-hmm. And it was fast early on. And slowly they need to develop the car more. And the one thing is those cars are really heavy. And if you want to better the development of the car, you want to accentuate its its power, you eventually need to get rid of some weight. So you shave off pieces. You A piece that you know was able to maybe withstand amount X of of force and you actually need like half of that or you're going to gamble it and re- reduce a bit its, its weight and literally take a uh, like a metal rotor and shave off a few inches well maybe not inches but a few a few millimeters off of it just to get rid of some weight so extrapolate that on the turbo problems could it be in an attempt to develop and even get more horsepower out of the car over the last few aero kit development or just engine development maybe they have shaved off a bit too much at a certain point and create a weakness in the turbo and engine components you know i was a little bit uh, mistaken just now when i said i can't remember a situation similar to that but apparently my memory is short and for myself it's rather inconvenient but i mean if you go back just a couple of months to the British Grand Prix, did we not see Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen have uh, tire failures, uh, punctures, uh, almost yeah. uh, well, the exact same tires and almost the exact same place on the, the course within a couple of laps of each other right at the end there? Well, yeah, and that, that, and that was, that was bizarre, of, too. Yeah, and that was not a coincidence either. It's the way the car was set up and it was yep. creating pressure on that tire at that exact spot at the track and enough to generate a catastrophic failure of the tire at that point. Yep. And uh, the way the tires are made to, to endure pressure and the way most of the part mark are in the Formula One, the way they're they're made to handle pressure and force and everything involved in being a part of a Formula One car is they work, they work, they work, they stop working, they're exploded. What I mean <laughs> is there's no drop off. It's not gonna oh you're gonna notice, oh okay, this usually it works up until it doesn't. And yeah. that's made so that uh 
you can actually get most amount of performance for the longest time. If there was a decline and if you can feel the break and you know what I mean, you lose performance and at the end of the uh, big race, it makes a big difference. Anyways, yep. so that's one of the reasons. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's something well, we're getting really technical here, but, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's in an attempt to maybe reduce the weight of the car. They were maybe they went a little too far. It could be, but uh, the the one thing is, uh, I I do recall hearing that the the Ferrari was already slightly lighter than the Mercedes to begin with this year. But it it does make you wonder if they were trying to exact some extra performance out of the car somewhere, like you say, and they just got burned for it. Which is a real shame because you think now you go back the last couple of races, Singapore, the first lap, the two Ferraris cancelled each other, and poor Max for stepping out. At the start-finish line, they didn't even get to the first corner in what was self-inflicted, uh, that one. And then you fast-forward two weeks later to the Malaysian Grand Prix, and they have these all these problems again. So for the past two races, not only have has uh, Vettel not been able to collect the, the maximum amount of points he could, well, I guess you could make the argument he did at the Malaysian Grand Prix, but kind of he went from twentieth yeah. to fourth, and, fourth, uh, which was impressive. If the race was maybe three, four laps longer, I wouldn't be surprised if he would have ended up on that podium. Yeah, he could very well have been, but just the overall uh, scenario is that the race fans everywhere have been denied the opportunity of watching Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton really going at it. The the one real surprise this weekend, of course, was despite being on pole position for his seventieth career pole. Lewis Hamilton wasn't the guy that disappeared down into the distance when the the lights went green on Sunday, but after a couple of laps, it was the Red Bull of Max Verstappen who oh. passed Lewis Hamilton a with beautiful pace to move. spare. That yeah. was a beautiful move, Mark. Uh, how Verstappen and the way Verstappen talked about his move, he's like, yeah, I was trying to do a move, the most aggressive in a way to be safe too because Lewis is fighting for the championship. I don't want to be the guy who... Just mm-hmm. kicks him off the track. A very wise words, very wise move by Verstappen. It was clean. It was perfectly done. And yes, he gambled a bit, not necessarily with the move, but if you, if you go with the mentality and the philosophy behind the moves, who has most to lose if it goes awry in a overtaken attempt? Definitely it's Lewis. So technically, Lewis should react a bit more conservative. So that gives Verstappen the edge to trying to go for it and he did. And yep. he did have the car to stay in front. And because it was a little damp at the beginning, it kind of gave him the chance to acclimatize correctly with the car. And the car was actually faster than the Mercedes on the day. And you don't see that often. And he took advantage of it and did a flawless race and was able to just go on and win. Yeah, and it's well-deserved for Max. I mean, the guy, I think, has only completed less than 50%, I think it was, of the season so far when you take into account all of the unfortunate and sometimes bizarre circumstances that have cost him the opportunity to compete. I mean, he's had mechanical problems. He's been hit by other cars, most notably the Torpedo, who wasn't at the Grand Prix last weekend, of course, with uh, Pierre Gasly taking his uh, seat at uh, Toro Rosso. But it was well-deserved. I mean, I think after last year, the the promise and what we'd seen from Max, I mean, obviously he won his very first race for the Red Bull at the Spanish Grand Prix after replacing the aforementioned Daniel Kvyat. And then he was impressive. I mean, you go back and you look at that Brazilian Grand Prix that took place in that downpour and was stopped at one point. I mean, that was absolutely epic. I mean, the way that he passed people, well, not just left, right and center, anywhere he could on the track was nothing short of uh, phenomenal. And uh, just the the fact that he's just hasn't had the opportunity 
for one reason or another to to really race this year and has been not de- being denied the opportunity to do so for me has been one of the disappointments of the season but again what with uh, Ferrari shooting themselves in the foot gave the opportunity for somebody else to step up and on the day it was Red Bull obviously Max winning and uh, Danny Ricardo getting third place but like you say who knows if it won another five or ten laps maybe it was a Ferrari of uh, Sebastian Vettel but that's all just a hypothesis, or hypothesis, and it didn't happen in the end. And Danny Ricardo uh, sort of keeps up his what's been a, a fairly impressive campaign as well. Well, th- there's one thing we don't necessarily talk enough about, and it's the talent of the two drivers of the Red Bull. Verstappen and Ricardo does they do have a great track record. They're mm-hmm. great on wet conditions. They're great whenever they have a chance to express themselves with the car. I think if you would have given them just maybe 50 horsepower more in the entire season, we're talking about Red Bull winning the, the, the both championships so far. Uh, the drivers are that good. They just didn't, don't, don't, and they didn't have in the past, the last two years, a car to compete at the highest level with, well, Mercedes, to be quite honest. So yep. outside of that, like, if you level the playing field, Cream rises to the top, and Verstappen, Ricciardo, I would put them against any other driver in Formula One with equal car to beat them. Yeah, unfortunately, Red Bull has kind of gotten the headlines for all the wrong reasons this year because, of course, they haven't had the car that they thought they did, despite Helmut Marko saying uh, earlier this week that he believes that they have the best chassis in Formula One, which could very well be the truth. But they, you know, the Renault engine just doesn't quite match up to the Ferrari or the Mercedes, which is a, a shame, but... They obviously have gotten headlines for that. There was the infamous incident at the Hungarian Grand Prix when Max, well, I mean, he obviously got a little bit too enthusiastic, crashed into his teammate and knocked him out after only a couple of corners on the opening lap. So that's one of them. And of course, of Max's problems all year long. So finally, it was good to see them get some headlines for all the right reasons. And I think that Ricardo, to a certain degree, has kind of flown under the radar this year. For one reason or another, I mean, everybody talks about the, the, I guess, the resurgence of Ferrari and Lewis Hamilton going for his fourth world championship and, you know, whether or not Valtteri Bottas is going to be good enough at Mercedes and all these sorts of stories. So it was nice to see a couple of different names mentioned and people talking about, especially the last couple of weeks. You mentioned Elmer Marco and his comments that uh, Red Bull might have the best chassis in Formula One. And those comments are based off data and just not a feeling. Uh, apparently, Red Bulls and their mathematicians and their engineer came up with a, an equation that if the Renault engine would have about 50 horsepower more, that would equivalent to the Ferrari or the Mercedes engine, they would be faster. Uh, they mm-hmm. would equivalent this to have a faster car and to have a, a better chance to accumulate points and would probably be the best car in the entire, the entire grid right now. So uh, I don't know if those equations are corroborated by other engineers from other teams or maybe it's something that it's uh, being talked about the next few weeks. Uh, speaking of comparison, uh, Lewis Hamilton mentioned a few data points during his uh, press conferences after the race, and it's quite interesting. Uh, he said uh, that according to his engineers, uh, like after equations and comparison between cars, 0.8 second behind Rebels for Hamilton, that's one lap, and about 0.5 behind Ferrari. So uh, that's interesting for Mercedes that in a track where technically, yes, it's more more equal, Ferrari was a lot better than them, and Red Bull was better than them too. 
Yeah, it's uh, again, like I was saying, it was a shame that we were denied the opportunity to see Ferrari and, and uh, Mercedes re- really go at it head to head these past couple of weeks. But it, it kind of really leads to ask the question if uh, Ferrari didn't have the problems that they had, Raikkonen was able to take part in the Grand Prix and Sebastian Vettel was actually able to qualify where he should have done. What would have been the final outcome in that race? Would it have been a combination of uh, Ferrari and Red Bull on the podium? I suspect it might have been. I would even go further saying it would have probably been Vettel and Raikkonen and then Verstappen or something. Because yeah. uh, the two Ferraris clearly had a lot more pace than any other car on Friday and Saturday when they were able to clog their times. And it was unfortunate how what had happened, but... Yeah, and those are all data points that are uh, from different engineers. So from the Mercedes engineers, and we go back to the Red Bull one for the comment of uh, backing up the comment of Marco saying they might have the best chassis. And it's just interesting too, because if you go back to the beginning of the season, the Red Bull were open saying they were maybe a bit behind in development, especially on the aero side, especially on the the chassis side. And they were maybe a few weeks behind because of terrible off-season decision and they had to correct courses after going down the wrong road in developing the car at a few point during development. Uh, but they, they went further in the arrow. They came back, especially if you look at the skirts of the car. It changed a lot, but it came back to compromises this weekend. And I think it's because of this week's data after they made decisions to go back to earlier designs and mix it with a little bit of the same type of technology of flaps on the side of the entrance to the air to the dock to cool the the engine on the side of the driver Uh, the way all those little uh, deflectors are positioned uh, now it's quite stable and they're quite happy and i think it's because of those data points because of what they have accumulated at sepang with those brand new deflectors and chassis that they can say they have the best chassis so no it's fascinating how with development now even though Lewis Hamilton is gathering a lot of points, and even though they're still going to win the Constructors' Championship for sure, and probably the Drivers' Championship as well, they're not necessarily going to be the best car going forward. The other teams are catching up. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting again this weekend at the Japanese Grand Prix because, you know, no pun intended here, the last couple of weeks we've seen some real cracks develop in Sebastian Vettel's Championship Challenge, and now Lewis Hamilton has a sizable cushion over, you know, in a, in a lead over Vettel going into the last several races of the year. And now we're going to the Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka this weekend, which is a race that has not been won by Ferrari since 2004. And in the early 2000s, it was basically a Ferrari lockout. That's when they were the at their, at their peak. I mean, Michael Schumacher won it four times from 2000 to 2004. Rubens Barrichello won once in between there as well. And since then, they have not been on the top step of the, the the podium. And not surprisingly, it's been the Mercedes that have won, the Mercedes team that's won uh, the, the Japanese Grand Prix for the last three years. And two of those were won by Lewis Hamilton in 2014 and 2015. So it's it's going to be one to watch this weekend, how Ferrari can come back. But at least the Spanish, sorry, not the Spanish Grand Prix, but the Malaysian Grand Prix ended on a bit of an interesting but ultimately positive note for Sebastian Vettel in one of the weirdest incidents <laughs> I think I may have ever seen and I, you know I, what? I think I think Lance was, out your... for, Lance was out for a stroll Lance was I, out for I a stroll so. on that out on that in lap he was not yeah. looking to his right I've got to get some rubber what are you doing there oh bang sorry yeah. Sebastian didn't see you there 
Well, the thing is, when you see, and I've only seen the, the, the in-car camera from Sebastian Vettel, but when you see the accident actually take place, you don't even see Lance Stroll's car, so he's not even alongside him. So, I mean, the, the, the two guys were obviously picking up some rubber on their, on their cool-down lap there. But fortunately for Sebastian Vettel, uh, despite having that, that accident, is that there were some concerns at the beginning that he may have to incur a five-grid-place penalty to change his gearbox but uh, they've examined it, and that's actually not the case. So he should be okay to, uh, to to go out and qualify for the Grand Prix this weekend. And hopefully, compared to the last couple of weeks, that this run of bad luck for Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel is about to turn. <laughs> because, I mean, honestly, it's, it's it could not have gotten that. any worse. Yeah. No, it's literally what it is. Or if you're a conspiracy theorist, you're saying, well, Lance Stroll has a Mercedes engine. Trying <laughs> <laughs> to put a damper in Vettel's choice chances? No. He, he looked left and turned right. Like, oh, sorry, bang, pulled the Schumacher. No, no, I don't think that. I don't think that's the case. I'm just, I'm just having fun here. But it's quite fascinating how sometimes when it rains, it pours, and yep. when weird stuff starts happening, it just keeps on happening. It does, and uh, it talk about what an unfortunate timing for Sebastian Vettel too, because. You you really thought that for the longest time he was, uh, I mean, he looked so comfortable there because he was on top of the championship and at sometimes he had a, a, you know quite a comfortable lead over Lewis Hamilton and now it's completely flipped around. Unfortunately for Sebastian, now the, I mean, time's really against him. I mean, we really are going into the last couple of races of the season, which honestly seems a little bit insane to think how quickly the year's com- gone when you think about it, but... He he's got a lot of work to do because I you know he he can do his he can win races but he's going to have to get a little bit of luck because Hamilton is almost in a, a bit of a similar situation that Nico Rosberg was in this time last year that he didn't really have to push to win all the races he just had to really take care of the car and just not but that can be dangerous though like I I don't necessarily be, yes. think it is the best course of action it's always. The famous analogy in team sports, when you're guaranteed to make the playoffs late in the season, you rest your big assets so they don't get injured, but then they lose kind of momentum and game shape and you go into the playoff not as quote-unquote hot as you could have been. I think it's the same type of thing, and I think in Formula 1 it's even more dangerous. The amount of energy, concentration, focus, dedication that it takes, you either do it or you don't. You can't just go 90% and saying, look, we're going to take it easy, so... I think if you're Lewis Hamilton, you have to go for the wins every time. You you can't do it otherwise. I think you have. To, I think every single driver out there. I think that's how they literally need to to mentally prepare themselves. Even if I don't think I have the best car, I'm going to win today. Yeah, and I think Lewis Hamilton too will probably be a little bit more. I wouldn't say aggressive, but I think he'll be more. Uh, what's the word, maybe a little bit more proactive compared to, to Nico Rosberg, because Nico this time last year was very much in protective mode and just doing as much as he could to really, well, I think he was trying to put the ball into to, to lose his court, but I mean, he really didn't push it any more than he needed to. No, and here's my other sports analogy. Nico Rosberg was just like Chris Froome in the Tour de France. You don't need to be the fastest, you just need to be faster than the second guy. <laughs> that's how you that's, win. That's true, yeah. yeah. There, there, there's a big difference. There's an amazing difference. Nico Rosberg didn't want to be the faster guy. He just wanted to be faster than the second guy, which would make him the fastest guy. But but yeah. there's a big difference of mentality in, in the way you 
approach races and the way you decide to go for an overtake or not because you are a little bit more conservative. And that's uh, what I come back to what I was talking earlier with the overtake of Verstappen on, on Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton reacted in a very conservative way and not necessarily fighting for that spot uh, with dear life because he knew he had more to lose if he would to make, to make a mistake. And that's the type of mentality that Nico Rosberg had all season long last year is you make sure you don't lose what you have already gained and you just chip at it. Yeah, it doesn't really seem to me to be the the kind of mentality that uh, that Lewis Hamilton has. I mean, he's a triple world champion for a reason and he's got the all-time record in pole positions for a reason. I mean, the guy's a competitor. He knows how to win. He's obviously one of the best drivers ever and he's fast and I think that uh, he he'll he'll go out and give it his all every time that he can. But I mean, Lewis is very smart as well. He he knows how to push the car, but not push it too hard. So, I I think the big question is whether or not the car will be up to it over these last couple of races to end off the season here. And I mean, the signs really aren't all that promising. I mean, of course, Lewis has benefited from some extremely good fortune over the past couple of weeks, and. That's going to be the big question. What happens if they're all on a level playing field comes Sunday morning or, yeah, well, Sunday morning here or Saturday night, I guess it could be. I might actually get to watch this one live for once. Yeah, but it's when, like, or like <laughs> Saturday at like 1 a.m. or something usually now. Yeah, which is uh, for me, that's the, the, the perfect uh, time. For to you, it's like it exactly live, this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. We we'd be in a pre race mode at this moment. But just to finish my uh, my thought, there is that when the lights go green on Sunday and everybody gets through qualifying, gets the race without any problems, that when it comes down to Vettel versus Hamilton at uh, the Japanese Grand Prix, who's going to come out on top? Because I mean, Ferrari's obviously had the pace the cat past couple of weeks, but they just haven't been able to pull it off. Uh, Largely because of their own faults uh, over the last couple of races. So, in the parallel universe somewhere, Sebastian Vettel won the last two races, and he's close yep. to lead of the championship. Right? Yep. That's how close and how just a fork in the road decision or bad luck coming into the equation, and instead of winning, you don't. Uh, instead of going on to win, you just crash out. Yeah, sometimes it's very close, and yeah. What if he doesn't cover the move of Verstappen two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. What if he just continues first and just goes on to win? And what if he doesn't have an engine problem, well, turbo problem when he's trying to qualify, gets the pole and win? We could be talking about a, a very different driver's championship right now, but yeah, it wasn't meant to be. Well, that's uh, that's sports, and uh, I guess it doesn't really matter if it's uh, motor racing or hockey or football or soccer, whatever it may, might be. Sometimes it's these uh, unexpected uh, circumstances because I bet you there was nobody more surprised than Lewis Hamilton at the Malaysian Grand Prix a couple of years a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, that at the start when he's looking at three or four cars in front of him, by the time he got to the first corner, he's looking at an empty track in front of him. <laughs> like, and then, good job, mate. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. He must have been looking to the, the skies and looking up to the big guy up there thinking, somebody likes me. Somebody's cheering for Lewis Hamilton this year because the the motorsport gods were definitely with Lewis Hamilton on that day. And then again, last weekend uh, in in, uh, in Malaysia as well. So whether or not uh, he has that uh, that continued luck, whether or not he's built up enough of a lead over Vettel to last him till the end of the year because i mean we're already in the first week of october here when you think about it the final race of the year at the end of november really isn't all that far away i mean we're going to have japan then the usa mexico brazil and 
and Abu Dhabi. I mean, they're all coming up really quickly now. So the time is running out, not just for Vettel, but uh, for, for Hamilton. And he's probably hoping just as much as uh, as Vettel to get the season over. But, of course, he's hoping that he can keep that lead over Vettel. So we'll see. Speaking it's gonna be a, It could be a fun ride, I think. Speaking of, absolutely. Speaking of Suzuka, it's coming out just in a few days' time. Uh, what do you expect, Mark, to finish the show on the Japanese Grand Prix this year? Suzuka, usually a place where engine mm-hmm. is needed, uh, but not just engine and pure power. You kind of need to be able to use that power efficiently through curves, which means a good chassis. So a balanced car with a good engine is usually good today. But because of the last few weeks, people are expecting Ferrari to maybe, if everything goes according to plan and no bad luck and no unnecessary change of turbos or gearbox or whatever is needed ferrari might be the best car in japan yeah i would agree with that kevin and i think that's the the big question and that's the only question really is whether or not ferrari will be able to to do it for themselves because as we've said uh, quite a few times over the past half an hour or so that the problems that ferrari have had over the past two races have been completely self-inflicted for one reason or another they've they've let themselves down be it either in the the strength and quality of the components in the car or what happened on the racetrack just in the literally less than a blink of an eye. So if they're actually able to get onto the track and they're able to get to the race and when the lights turn green, I almost think it's it, it's hard to, to really predict that they won't be up there at the front of the race and whether or not they'll be able to pull it off or whether or not the Mercedes may be at a bit of a disadvantage but might prevail through, say, a superior race strategy. That's uh, the $64,000 question. But Ferrari have proven over the past couple of races that they do have the pace and they've been better than Mercedes. And that, that is ultimately the, ultimately the question when it comes down to a one-on-one who comes out on top, and I think it would be Ferrari, but there's there's a lot of what ifs, and let's just say let let's yeah. go with Ferrari for this weekend, but let's put a like a, an asterisk at the end there because <laughs> if, if if everything goes okay, like yeah. if there's no monkey in the ranch, my prediction won't be uh, necessarily about Ferrari or Mercedes. I do feel like Red Bulls are going to be brought back to life, maybe reality. Yes, yeah, they've been a bit, a bit of a dark horse recently, and like we were saying earlier, it's it, it's good to see, and they could really throw a, a wrench into the works and uh, then make no, things I, interesting. I expect the difference, though. I expect Red Bull yeah. to be a little bit off the pace in Suzuka because it's about the engine, too, and they still have the, those horsepower is missing. So for me, Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull this weekend, but because of driver influence on the cars, so let's say Vettel, Hamilton... Raikkonen, Bottas, Verstappen, my top five. Yeah, it would be interesting, though, if, say, the Ferraris get ahead of the Mercedes and qualify, out-qualify them, and then somehow the the Red Bulls manage to insert themselves between Ferrari and the Mercedes, or vice versa, even. That could make for a very interesting scenario, and especially it would be interesting to see if, say, Vettel qualifies on pole, and then uh, Lewis Hamilton finds himself down, like, say, similar to Singapore, maybe three or four places down behind, say, the Red Bulls or Raikkonen or something like that, just how he would react to that situation. So there are many, many storylines going into this Grand Prix, and it's going to be absolutely fascinating. 
Absolutely. It'll be very, very fascinating. So you can follow me on Twitter at Kevlarme during the weekend when I'm watching the Grand Prix. Usually it's uh, not live because it's uh, difficult here, especially this one uh, at the <laughs> time it plays. But uh, I'm tweeting about F1. You can follow me at Kevlarme. You can follow the network at SportsPodNet. And you can always find every on-demand version of the shows we do at SportsPodcastingNetwork.com and anywhere you get your podcasts. Excellent. Of course, you can follow this show specifically on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod. And that's it. That's a wrap. We'll catch up with you guys this time next week after the Japanese Grand Prix. We're out of here. And until next time, have a great F1. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 Podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, SportsPodcastingNetwork.com. space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?